0: Would you all please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're going to cover verses 1 through 12 today. We are currently in a sermon series entitled The Fullness of Life. We had a little bit of a break with Palm Sunday and Easter, and then last week, kind of that state of the church sermon, and we're getting right back into our series The Fullness of Life today, which comes from John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it not a little bit, not a mediocre life, not an okay life, but life to the full, a life that is fruitful and victorious. And so far, we've looked at several key elements to this kind of life, which include, number one, the foundation of it all, which is abiding in Christ, which then produces the fruit of the Spirit. And then we've been for some time now in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, a topic that is so important that it's mentioned 155 times in the scriptures, and the Apostle Paul takes three whole chapters here in 1 Corinthians to talk about it. Now, why? Why is it so important to Paul? Well, because this key point, we will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise all of the gifts that God has given to us. We will never become all that God intends for us to be until we learn to exercise all of the gifts that God has given to us. That's true for us as individuals, and it's true for us as a church. Spiritual gifts are a key element to living the abundant or full life. And so we have defined spiritual gifts like this. Spiritual gifts are their special abilities. Uh, You remember my uh, analogy with my favorite childhood cartoon, The Super Friends, right? Right? How Each super friend had their own special ability. Imparted to Christians, they're for believers, by the Holy Spirit to serve others. That's a point we keep coming back to again and again and again. The gift isn't primarily for you, it is for others as you serve others for the glory of God. And then when this happens, when these are exercised biblically, some amazing things happen, namely... God is glorified. He is honored as His Spirit works through His people. The church is edified or built up. Good triumphs over evil. And believers ultimately live full or abundant lives. Anybody went in on that? You want some of that for yourself? Amen. Amen. So it's no wonder that spiritual gifts are given such importance in the scriptures. Well, we also learned that amongst the spiritual gifts, there is a wide variety of gifts. In fact, when we uh, put that chart of the different listings of spiritual gifts in the scriptures, we we made the point, this is not exhaustive. These are representative gifts that, that God can produce and create all kinds of different spiritual gifts. Much variety meant to operate in unity, like the Trinity. The Trinity is our example of what that's supposed to look like. And then, like the human body. Paul loves that analogy of the human body. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you, church, you all here today, you are the body of Christ. And individually, you are members of it. And you see, just like a human body, every part has an important role to play for the health. When any one part of your body isn't cooperating, um, it's, it's unhealthy. And so it is in the church, the body of Christ. One body, many parts, Each part with an important role to play. And when these roles are not fulfilled, the body sadly limps along as less than it could be and it should be. The bottom line is the body will be unhealthy. And so it was in the Corinthian church. The body was not healthy in Corinth, they were a mess. You think we got problems? we got some problems here, but we got no problems like they were having in Corinth. See, for for rather than operating in unity like the Trinity, they were divided over so many different issues. Lots of division, lots of um, contentiousness in that church. And one of those issues that brought division was the issue of spiritual gifts. In, In short, what was happening is the Corinthians were elevating certain gifts above others, and at the top of their list was the gift of tongues. And it was like a badge of spiritual honor, like you had arrived if you had the spiritual gift of tongues. And they they felt superior, while those who didn't have the gift felt inferior. So there's this rivalry and jealousy and superiority and inferiority going on. And their worship services became these chaotic contests to see who could outdo the other in exercising their gift. And when that happens, worship doesn't happen. Well, in 1 Corinthians 14, in this chapter that we're going to be addressing the next two weeks, the Apostle Paul is going to address the tongue's controversy once and for all. This is kind of where chapter 12 and the definition of spiritual gifts, and then 13, the chapter on love, and now here's the punchline, here's the conclusion, here's what it's all been building toward here in chapter 14. In fact, he's going to take this whole chapter to instruct them on the proper use of the gift of tongues as well as the proper use of the gift of prophecy. And here's something very significant. Please don't miss this. You might think that the solution to the misuse and abuse of certain spiritual gifts would be to cease using them altogether, right? Corinthians, you're misusing and even abusing tongues, and it's causing your worship services to become chaotic. So just knock it off altogether. And if we're honest, we, can we be honest, all right? That may be the approach that many of us have taken, right? We've, we've seen abuses and misuse of certain spiritual gifts, and so we said, I, I don't want any part of that. It has no part in my life. It has no part in my church. Therefore, I, we're just not going to go there. But that's not what Paul tells the Corinthians, Quite the opposite, actually. In fact, he ends chapter 14, we'll look at it next week, he ends chapter 14 by saying, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So in essence, Paul says, hey, Corinthian church, you are all a train wreck in how you are exercising spiritual gifts. Your motives are selfish, your worship is chaotic, but the church needs these gifts. And if we don't exercise them appropriately, the church will never be all that it could be or should be without them. And so rather than stop using them, I'm going to instruct you on how to properly use them. That's what Paul's saying to the church in Corinth. And the principle is this the solution to the abuse of spiritual gifts is not disuse, but proper use. The solution to the abuse of spiritual gifts is not disuse but proper use, and that's what 1 Corinthians 14 is all about. And so, would you please stand with me as I read? We're going to read the first five, chapter, or first five verses right now, and then we'll look at the remaining verses up to verse 12 later. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it begins by saying, Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. may be built up. And we're going to stop here for now. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, this is one of the more controversial chapters in the Scriptures. It's one of the more difficult in some ways to digest, not because... It's hard to understand. I think it's because of the implications, perhaps, and our uncomfortableness with some of the implications. God, I pray that you would speak to us clearly, speak through me clearly. God, may we be united around the truth of your word, and as a church, may we be all that you have called us to be. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. You may be seated. Well, in boxing and MMA there is something called the tail of the tape. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? The tail of the tape, all right? So here's an example of the tail of the tape. And what happens is these two fighters are put side by side for comparison and contrast, taking into account such things as their age, their height, their reach, their record, and knockouts. You can kind of compare them side by side. Well, here in 1 Corinthians 14:1 through 5, Paul presents a tale of the tape comparing and contrasting the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy. And I, I think it will help us a lot in our understanding of them to see them side by side. But before Paul gets to the tale of the tape, he has some introductory instructions. Some introductory instructions. And the first of these instructions he says, Pursue love. Pursue love. In case we haven't gotten it yet, after studying 1 Corinthians 13 in its entirety, which is all about love, um, Paul's going to beat that drum again and say, hey, nothing else of what I say is going to matter in this chapter unless we get the love part right. He reminds us that spiritual gifts are a most excellent way, right? We've heard that before, but spiritual gifts are not the most excellent way. The most excellent way is the way of love, You can get spiritual gifts right, but still be totally wrong if you do not exercise them in love. And that was certainly the case in Corinth. Um, It was all about self. It was all about promotion and pride and ego, and it was not about love. And so that is Paul's first introductory instruction in chapter 14, pursue love. The second introductory instruction he gives is earnestly desire spiritual gifts earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Look at verse 1 again. Again, introductory, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, that may sound familiar. This is not the first, nor will it be the last time that Paul says this. You might remember back in chapter 12, verse 31, he said, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Here today in 14.1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then he will conclude the chapter in verse 39, so my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Three times, earnestly desire. This is clearly a point of emphasis for Paul that we are to desire spiritual gifts, especially what he calls the higher gifts and specifically prophecy. But my question for you today, as those who believe in the sovereignty of God why bother? Why bother to earnestly desire spiritual gifts in general, and prophecy in particular, if, as we learned in chapter 12, and this was an important point in chapter 12, 1211, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. And then a few verses later in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose, and then 28, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. The overwhelming point in this section of verses is that God sovereignly chooses and appoints which part of the body we are to be and which spiritual gifts we will possess. He appoints them to us as He wills, and so the question is why bother? to earnestly desire certain spiritual gifts if God sovereignly appoints them anyway, right? My answer would be this. Why bother to ask for healing if God is sovereign, right? Why bother to ask for provision if God is sovereign? Why bother to evangelize if God is sovereign? You get the idea? The fact of the matter is we ask God in all of these circumstances and even when it comes to spiritual gifts because it is God's command and it is God's way. It's how he works in us, with us, through us. His sovereignty and our asking work in harmony to produce God's will. His sovereignty and our asking work in harmony to produce God's will. And so he commands us to do things like ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. When all the while, he is sovereign. And the book of James bluntly tells us, you do not have because you do not ask. And so the truth is this, our sovereign God welcomes, commands, and even works through our asking. And that is true in regard to spiritual gifts. Some of that is very mysterious, I understand, but it is true. Now, the truth of the matter is we don't always get what we ask for when we pray to God, do we? And that's hard. There are times when our desires are not in line with God's desires. He has a different plan. And that will at times be true in regard to spiritual gifts. You may pray for the gift of prophecy and God says, hey, you know what, I really am honored and blessed by the fact that you would pray and ask for that gift. But you know what? I have a different part for you to play in the body of Christ. And that part is spectacular, and it is special, and it is personal. But it doesn't change the fact that Paul tells us we are to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Well, before we get to the tale of the tape, comparing and contrasting tongues and prophecy, we need to once again define these gifts, okay? First of all, the gift of various kinds of tongues... Which we first encountered back in chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. It kind of gives us a laundry list of a bunch of different gifts. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another, faith by the same Spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. And so we get a snapshot here one body. Many parts. And so we define the gift of tongues as, very simply, very basically, it is the special ability to speak in unknown languages. It is the special ability to speak in unknown languages. And we encounter in the Scriptures two kinds of tongues. Two kinds of tongues in the Scripture. First of all, in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, tongues are literal earthly dialects. They are literal earthly dialects in Acts chapter 2 that were given so that everyone gathered in Jerusalem for Pentecost from all different nations could hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. That's one kind of tongues in Acts chapter 2. But in Acts chapter 14, we encounter something very different. Tongues are a language all their own, a heavenly language, if you will, which will be shown in greater detail in a few moments. But right now, tongues is the special ability to speak in unknown languages. Next is the gift of prophecy, prophecy. And again, this is the gift that Paul repeatedly encouraged the Corinthians to earnestly desire. Back in chapter 12, it's in verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy. Here, prophecy is defined as the special ability to speak God's message. A special ability to speak God's message. Now, contrary to what some believe, this is not the same as preaching and teaching the Scriptures. This is not the same as preaching or teaching the Scriptures. Otherwise, the gifts would not be listed separately as they are in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, where it says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, Okay? Prophets and teachers are listed separately. There is a distinction between them. Teaching and preaching is speaking God's timeless message from the Scriptures. Prophecy is speaking God's immediate message from the Spirit, a message which is always under the authority of the Scriptures themselves. Let me repeat those sentences. Teaching and preaching is speaking God's timeless message from the Scriptures. But the spiritual gift of prophecy is speaking God's immediate message from the Spirit. Now, those was good very well and should overlap at times, but they are distinct. A message from the spiritual gift of prophecy is always, always, always under the authority of the Scriptures themselves. And so, there are two aspects to the gift of Prophecy. We're going to get into some, uh, some deep weeds here for a minute. Two aspects to the gift of prophecy. Number one is, is divine revelation. Divine revelation, which is inspired and infallible as God speaks. God doesn't stutter, does He? He doesn't contradict Himself or say anything untrue. God is the perfect communicator. But we, on the other hand, not so much. As listeners and as those who convey the message that we have heard, we are not Infallible. So the second aspect of the gift of prophecy is human interpretation and application, which can be fallible. Our, our flesh, our emotions can get in the way of hearing and communicating clearly. And so those with the gift of prophecy, they don't get it right every time, just as one with the gift of teaching and preaching doesn't get it right every time either. We, we learned this back in chapter 13 when it said this, 1 Corinthians thirteen nine, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. So it will be this side of heaven with all of the spiritual gifts. Uh, we will not execute them perfectly, but we will execute them fallibly. If you want to see an interesting case study of this, check out Acts 21. Uh, we can't go into great detail with it today, but if you go home and read it, I think you'll find it fascinating. The Apostle Paul is in the city of Tyre. And then the author of Acts, Luke, says in Acts 21, verse 4, says, And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days, and through the Spirit, through the Spirit, okay, a prophetic word is going to be given, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. What's wrong with that? Paul knows That he is absolutely supposed to go to Jerusalem. So what happened? Most likely, those who were exercising the spiritual gift of prophecy had the same image that a man named Agabus would have, and just a few verses later, it was an image of Paul being bound in Jerusalem. And so those prophesying, they they came to the conclusion: Paul, you can't go. You shouldn't go because you're gonna be bound. The revelation was correct, but the interpretation and the application were not correct. It was fallible. We prophesy in part. We don't bat a thousand with this spiritual gift any more than we do with any other spiritual gift. And so, putting these pieces together, Scripture, oh, thank God for Scripture. It is inspired, it is inerrant, it is infallible, it is authoritative. All right, it is way, way up here compared to the spiritual gifts of prophecy or tongues or anything else. Everything is subservient to the authority of the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. And God speaks to us primarily today through God's Word. Hear me say that very clearly. The spiritual gift of prophecy is inspired, but it can be errant, it can be fallible. And it is not authoritative as Scripture is, which is why 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says, do not despise prophecies, okay? Some of us are in that camp today. We're like, nah, I don't want to go there. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. As a great theologian once said, chew the meat and spit out the bones, right? Well, What I find fascinating about all of this is that even with the possibility of error, In the exercise of the gift of prophecy, Paul still gives it top priority. And he says that we all ought to earnestly desire it. Now, why would that be? With all of the danger and potential error, why why would Paul still put it up here and say, hey, we should all desire that? Because God still speaks today. And he wants us to hear. It is part of the evidence of the fact that he is living and that he is loving. And there are times when we need to hear from him very personally and very specifically in our life circumstance. The gift of prophecy is one of the means by which God still speaks today. Number one is scripture. You can hear from God anytime you want to by opening your Bible, all right? Anytime you want to. So if you don't have the gift of prophecy, don't feel like, oh, I can't hear from God. No, you can hear from God anytime you want to. But there will be times when God determines, I I have a special personal message and I want to share with them in this circumstance, this enters the gift of prophecy. All right, let's get to the tail of the tape and back to our text today. In verses 1 through 5, we contrast and compare tongues and prophecy. The first point that Paul makes is that one who exercises the gift of tongues speaks to God. One exercising the gift of tongues speaks to God. Look at the first part of verse 2. It says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Now, again, this is a distinction between tongues in Acts 2 and tongues in 1 Corinthians 14. The tongues in Acts 2 involve speaking to whom? To people right? The gospel was being proclaimed in their native tongues. They could hear it. It was for the purpose, for the hearing of people. But what does it say here in 1 Corinthians 14? It involves speaking to God. Therefore, I think it is very safe and very appropriate to say tongues in 1 Corinthians 14 is a form of prayer. That's what prayer is, right? Speaking to God. Tongues is a form of prayer. For as Paul says, one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. Here's where it gets into the nitty-gritty. It is a form of prayer that to most human ears is unintelligible. might sound like gibberish. What are they saying? I don't recognize that. I don't know what that is. It's unintelligible. Something that is unintelligible is impossible to understand. It is incomprehensible. It is indiscernible. As it says of the tongue speaker in the second part of verse 2, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. No one understands them, But you know what? That's okay. Why is it okay? Because they're not speaking to you. They're not speaking to men. They are speaking to God, uttering mysteries in the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you. I got questions about that, all right? And we'll address some of those questions in more detail next week. For now, it is enough to know that those exercising the gift of tongues, they speak to God, and it is unintelligible. Now, let's shift our attention to prophecy in our tale of the tape, for Paul says in verse 3, On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And this verse quickly tells us three important things about prophecy. We're going to fill that right side of the chart up really fast. While the one speaking in tongues speaks to God, and it is unintelligible, the one exercising the gift of prophecy speaks to people with words that are intelligible or understandable, and that gift builds up the church. How specifically does it build up the church? Back to verse 3. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Encouragement and consolation. Would anybody love to hear a personal, specific message from the Lord for your encouragement and consolation? Amen. Sometimes I wonder sometimes I wonder if we in the church experience needless discouragement due to the lack of the exercise of the gift of prophecy. It is for our upbuilding specifically through encouragement and consolation it only follows to me that perhaps if we are not exercising this gift as it is supposed to be exercised that we may be more discouraged and need consolation that we're not receiving because of the consequence of that. Well, this concept of edification, building up the church, was of the utmost importance to Paul. How important was it to him? Paul uses this word for building up seven times in this chapter, reminding us again that spiritual gifts are primarily for the building up of the church. At the end of the day, as far as Paul was concerned, what could be more edifying than an authentic personal message from God Almighty through a humble servant with the gift of prophecy? What a blessing that would be. So, prophecy builds up the church. In contrast, the one speaking in tongues builds up themselves. Look at verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. Now, initially, that sounds pretty selfish, doesn't it? even self-indulgent. And that was certainly the case at Corinth. But not necessarily does it have to be that way. At the end of the day, is it a good or bad thing to build up yourself? It's a good thing. Jude tells us this in Jude 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit... So Jude says that, hey, church, it is a good thing to build yourself up. We do this through the spiritual disciplines, don't we? Some of you attended a discovery class this morning. Why did you do that? Well, for the purpose of building yourself up. We read our Bibles, we pray, we memorize scripture. Why? To build ourselves up. And what happens when all of the members of the body take that seriously and build themselves up? What happens to the body? The body is built up. According to Paul, Speaking in tongues is one means by which an individual is built up in their faith, and then the church is then built up indirectly. I think that's a key word. The church is built up indirectly, which leads to the conclusion that Paul makes that speaking in tongues is great. It's a great thing. He says so in verse 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, right? Right? I want you all to speak in tongues. Now, will everyone speak in tongues? I think this is an important question for us to ask. There are churches and traditions that teach that, hey, if you really have the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. But if we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we know that that's not true. Tongues is a spiritual gift, like prophecy is a spiritual gift, like all the other spiritual gifts, and God will sovereignly appoint them as he chooses for the purpose of making us a body where all of the parts of the body matter and play an integral role. So not everyone is going to speak in tongues, but Paul says, it's great, it'd be a great thing if you all did, but I understand that that's not going to be the case. Paul says, this spiritual gift that you Corinthians are misusing and abusing that has brought such division, I wish that you all had it, which tells us that as far as Paul is concerned, tongues were great. Not in any way to be despised or discouraged. In fact, he will eventually close out the chapter by saying, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. Why? Because speaking in tongues is great. It's great for upbuilding the individual, and then the body is then indirectly built up. But as great as tongues are, he says that prophecy is greater. Prophecy is greater. He goes on to say in verse 5, Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Why greater? Because while tongues has an indirect impact on the building up of the church, prophecy has a direct impact on the building up of the church. Direct, intelligible words of encouragement and consolation. Now there is a scenario he gives us in which tongues could move from great to greater, which is given then at the end of verse 5. He says, unless someone interprets that the church may be built up. Now, we'll cover that in more detail next week when he gives very specific instructions for public worship. Now, on to verses 6 through 12. Verses 6 through 12 give us illustrations of the unintelligible nature of tongues and therefore their limitations in building up the church. We're going to go through this section very quickly. Verse 6 says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in the building up of the church. Where are my musicians? Especially... Concert band and symphony and that kind of stuff, orchestra. And maybe you've attended one of these events where the orchestra, the symphony, the band is on the stage, and prior to the concert, they are all playing, warming up. They're warming up and they're all playing their own thing, their own notes, all at the same time. No distinct notes, no distinct song, just kind of a chaotic mess. If it goes on for too long, it would give you a headache. Paul says to the Corinthians, that's exactly what your worship services are like. Everybody's doing their own thing at the same time. When you're all speaking in tongues, there is no distinct message for the building up of the church. It's just a bunch of chaotic noise. Therefore, only exercise the gift of tongues in public worship if there is a clear message given through someone with the gift of interpretation. Again, we will look at that in much more detail next week. Verses 13 through 40, y'all better come ready next week. That's a big chunk of scripture, okay? But Paul gets down to the nitty-gritty and he says, all right, here's the principles. We did the tail of the tape. We compared and contrasted, but now these questions that you have about how do you do that in a worship service, this is what Paul gets down to. So to recap our tail of the tape, tongues, speaks to God, words that are unintelligible, that are for the purpose of building up themselves, and it is a great gift not to be despised. But prophecy, speaks to men, words that are intelligible. It builds up the church, and it is a greater gift than the gift of tongues. Let's shift now to application and the question, how should we then live? How should we then live? First of all, admit your fear, right? As I've been sharing this with you this morning, some of you are like, nope, not going to do it not going to go there. And if this church becomes anything like a chaotic circus, I'm out of here and I don't blame you. (laughs) All right. That's the whole point of the passage. That's not what church is supposed to be. Let me confess to you, um, as one who does not possess at this point, the gift of tongues, though I have asked for it, I don't, I don't have that spiritual gift. Um, and there have been times in my life when I've encountered people who have, and I think I've encountered misuse and abuse of the spiritual gift of tongues. It makes you very uncomfortable, it makes you very on edge, it makes you very defensive, and it's like, I, 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 don't, I don't like it. Admit your fear. Admit your fear. Again, I think what happens is we have experiences like that, and the pendulum swings so far to the other side, it's like, no, I don't want to go anywhere near that ever, ever again. Again, I think it's significant that Paul's antidote for the problems in Corinth wasn't to tell him to stop his answer was to say this is how you do it right some of you may be fearful that I'm trying to make this Baptist church Pentecostal and I assure you I have no desire for that but I really do want us to be biblical and again hopefully as we just unpack the passage very simply hopefully very clearly it is evident that huh God's got a purpose God's got a plan for these gifts And perhaps we are less than we could be or should be by our either ignorance or our rebellious denial of participating in those gifts. So I think the question becomes, which which makes us more uncomfortable? These spiritual gifts or disobedience to God's word? Which makes you more uncomfortable? Which do we fear more? So this is the place to begin. Admit your fear, I'm in that camp. I like to be in control of things, all right? I I like to be able to say when things are going to happen, how they're going to happen. Um, That's very natural, isn't it? But we serve a risen Savior who's powerful and alive and active, and His Holy Spirit is powerful. There should be something. Should there not be something at least a little bit unpredictable when God is on the move, right? So this is the place to begin. Admit your fear. Number two, Ask the Father. Ask the Father. Paul says we are to eagerly desire spiritual gifts in general, the higher gifts in particular, and uh, we may need to go back and define at some point what he means by higher gifts, and especially the gift of prophecy. And so I ask you the question, have you asked the Father? Like me, have you asked the Father for the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy? Now to this point, again, God's answer to me is, that's not your gift, Chad. That's going to be somebody else's gift. But have you asked? Have you earnestly desired? Remembering that we are commanded by Him to ask, to seek, and to knock, and that we often have not because we ask not, and acknowledging that He is sovereign. His ways are not as our ways, they are higher than our ways. And He may very well say, No, that's not for you. Your gift is here, your part of the body is here. It's important that we. Follow the mandate of Scripture and eagerly seek spiritual gifts by asking the Father. And then third, accept his finest. And what I mean by finest is his best for you. Acknowledging that he knows what is ultimately best for you and for his church. And that he sovereignly appoints each and every gift in each and every part of the body of Christ. And if God so chooses you to give you the gifts of tongues and prophecy, that's great. That's great. Make sure you follow the instructions. Make sure you follow the instructions. But if he chooses not to give you those gifts, it's still great because God has a place for you and only you in the body. The important thing is for you to find that place and to serve there with all of your heart. God has a unique and meaningful role for each and every one of us to play in the body of Christ. And at that point, we all take a deep breath and we pray. Father, I thank you for Paul's honest and challenging words, words which are timeless. Thank you for scripture. And again, I just want to reiterate that point. We can hear from you any time we choose by opening up your word to us, your revelation to us, that is not dependent upon any particular spiritual gift. It is universal for all of your people. And that word is inerrant. It is infallible. It is inspired. It is authoritative. And we thank you this morning for your word. But God, we also thank you that you work in mysterious ways, and there are times when you want to give a personal and specific message in a particular situation, and you will speak through someone with the gift of prophecy to share that message for encouragement and consolation. Thank you for caring for us so personally. And God, as we wrestle with these topics, and again, I understand that they are charged with um, potentially some emotion, some controversy, and some fear. God, help us to set our emotions aside and at the end of the day, go back to your word. I pray for this body that we would be all that you have called us to be. And for those who are, even this moment, God, asking the Father, asking the Father, God, would you reveal to us even more clearly our place in the body and how we would serve others for the upbuilding of your church. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.